Welcome to episode 22 of the Floss for Science podcast, the podcast about free, libre, and open source software for science. Today, I'm interviewing uh, Robert Dodier about the computer algebra system Maxima. Hi, Robert. Thank you for being with us today. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Could you please introduce yourself as well as presenting how Maxima is involved in your workflow? Hi, I'm Robert Dodier, and right now I'm doing um, software development for a support system for people with type 1 diabetes at a university here in Portland, Oregon. And um, in other jobs, I have done machine learning applications and agent-based systems and other kinds of, uh, and also general software development. Um, I actually have a PhD in civil engineering. And um, for my dissertation, I worked on a class of graphical models called Bayesian Belief Networks which is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. So at present, I'm using, I'm using Maxima as a kind of general purpose tool for incidental calculations and plotting things and some, uh, you know, maybe working through some, some, uh, some derivations and, and um, you know, building programs from solving equation, from solved equations, things like that. So I like using Maxima as, and also um, as um, a data analysis tool, kind of a very flexible. Maxima is not a, a very fast program for data analysis, but it is very flexible, and um, I can use it in, in um, lots of different ways. Okay. So can you do Bayesian analysis in Maxima as well? Well, um, I'm sure that we'll talk more about this later, but the basic scope of Maxima is that it, it covers more or less undergraduate mathematics with uh, derivatives and integrals and, and um, some special functions and whatnot. So Maxima kind of provides building blocks that one could use for Bayesian analysis. And in fact, I wrote um, a small package of, of functions to that are um, specifically for that purpose some time ago. But there's two basic um, parts to Bayesian inference. One is keeping track of dependencies between variables, and the other is calculating integrals in different ways. And so Maxima doesn't have um, built-in functions that are devoted to Bayesian inference, but I think it's a suitable foundation to to build those functions on. Okay. But... but tools like R, uh, wouldn't they be more appropriate for that? Or you, you prefer the more bare-bone approach of Maxima for that? Well, I wouldn't say... Maxima is just very different in the sense that it's symbolic as well as numerical, and R is almost entirely numerical. So when I'm, when I'm thinking about Bayesian inference, I am coming at it from a very, a very conceptual level, a high level, And I'm not thinking so much about um, how particular computations need to be carried out. So I find Maxima to be a very, a very flexible tool for expressing ideas about, about problems. And that flexibility is what I think a person needs at the, at the outset of putting together a program for computation. Something like R, which is more, more heavily numerical, is suitable when when you have a well-defined problem and you just need to solve it as in a in a um, as quickly as possible. So Maxima is, is not as strong in in the you know for the purposes of numerical computation, but it's not it's not that bad either. So 
I, I have used R from time to time as well, but um, I, I find that I do quite a lot of, of numerical and statistical analysis in Maxima. It's, it's nice to be able to have a uniform working environment for both the numerical and the symbolic parts of a problem. Yeah, so it allows you to have um, a higher level analysis of thing, only th like thinking about equations and not like the the nitty gritty details. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, it's uh, it's somewhat like being able to work on a on a piece of paper. You know, it's not quite as not quite the same as as working with pencil and paper, but it's the same idea of of sketching out equations and and seeing where ideas go and exploratory analysis. Have you discovered Maxima during your undergrad studies or later? You know, I discovered Maxima when I was working at a company for which I wanted to compute some integrals for a statistical analysis. And um, I was searching for tools on, on the interwebs and I came across Maxima. Okay. Uh, when, when was that? That was uh, in, I believe, the year 2003. Okay. So about 16 years ago. So, but Maxima, the core didn't evolve. It, like it's not a new, new, new software, new programming paradigm. So the, it's much more stable over time. So it was probably quite mature at that time already. It was in in many ways it was similar to very similar to the program as it is now. In that time, lots and lots of bugs have been fixed, and some new features have been developed and and additional add-on packages. But the basic core functionality and and um, outlook and and workflow has has been the same throughout. Okay. Uh, before we dig any deeper into the details of Maxima, what would be your 30 seconds elevator pitch for Maxima? I would say that Maxima is a flexible system for symbolic and numerical computation, and that Maxima helps people to look at problems from a, a high conceptual level and um, helps people to work out their ideas in order to implement them in concrete programs. Okay, so you still consider Maxima scripts as programming in themselves? Oh, yes. Okay. We talked about like the Maxima can do the undergrad level stuff, like uh, integrals, differentials, uh, uh, probably matri matrix operation. Is there like kind of a list of mathematical functions that are implemented? Like, uh, where could we find them? And like, because it's probably too long to enumerate all of them within the podcast today. Well, the I think that the best way to get an overview would be to look at the reference manual, which is included with Maxima. The documentation that, that is built in with Maxima which is also available from the command prompt, is a reference manual style documentation where it just lists all the different functions and then describes what are the, what are the inputs and outputs and, and other notes about each function. So one way to get a good overview would be to look at the table of contents and see what are the main topics that are covered and then look at each topic and see what functions are within that. Okay, so similar to R or MATLAB, you have a documentation directly within this the, the, the program. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what is the, the syntax to access this uh, documentation? Well, you can enter a question mark, then you put the name of something you're looking for, and if you put two question marks and then the name or a substring, then it will do a, a search for that name or substring within all of the items that are in the reference manual. 
Okay, so it's pretty easy to access it and to search within them. Yeah. Like if you know a mathematic concept, but you don't know which function is used, you just double a question mark and then you ask for a specific uh, mathematical function. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. There's also a HTML um, version of the documentation, which is um, available on the, the uh, Maxima project website maxima.sourceforge.net okay mabel or mathematica may be familiar to some of our listeners and the uh, as far as i know they provide similar functionality in which way is maxima different from those two well i i don't know a whole lot about maple so as to the differences between maple and and maxima My understanding is that Maple does not have the same conceptual basis. So the conceptual basis of, of Maxima programming is that code is data and everything is an expression. And of course, these are ideas that are, that are also shared by Lisp. Um, and as far as I know, uh, Maple does not have these ideas implemented. But the, the, the scope of, of mathematics that's covered by Maple is approximately the same, but probably with in many more details and somewhat broader as well with mathematica mathematica also has the idea of, of code equals data with a different syntax but again it it has uh and its general approach or general topics that are covered are probably largely similar except more extensive and probably the uh, the the two features that i i think that both maple and mathematica have that um are substantial differences with respect to maxima are that um as far as i know their functions for solving equations are stronger and their whatever functions or tables they have for computing integrals are also more extensive so these are those solving equations and computing integrals are probably the two things that people turn to symbolic systems to solve And so having stronger versions of those functions is a big win for those for the for Maple and Mathematica. And I think that that's probably I know that there's lots of of course, there's lots of add on features and, you know, stuff around the edges. To my mind, that's less important. But the probably the most substantial differences have to do with the, the strength of those functions for equations and, and integrals. Okay. Uh, what do you mean by code equal data representation of I, i'm not a lisp programmer so could you enlighten me about that now, now that you ask me now i find it a slippery concept it's possible to represent programs as objects as first class objects within the programming language so the program that's manipulating another program is itself just another expression Um, that is to say, a um, sequence of, of um, operators and operands. And the, there isn't any distinction between the, the contents of variables that contain the, the things that the program is working on and the program itself. So the, the general outlook is that if code equals data, then everything is on an equal footing. And you can manipulate expressions, which is to say, operators with their operands and that uh, any given expression might be be a program or it might be a problem or it might be a representation of an unsolved problem or whatever you want to imagine it to be the the programming language doesn't impose a particular point of view on on the um on the data 
which gives you a lot of freedom to be creative and and um, impose your own interpretation. So this is this is a point of view that that Lisp is based on, and Maxima is implemented in Lisp and borrowed heavily from the um, conceptual basis of Lisp. So we we talked um, we talked briefly about the about Maxima's programming language, and it's basically Maxima's programming language is basically a Lisp-like language with more conventional notation instead of all the parentheses. So aside from the from rearranging the the superficial syntax, the the conceptual, the underlying concepts are are largely the same. Okay, so Maximus language is pretty high level, you would say, or quite verbose and low level. Well, it's a simple language. I would say that it's based on a variety of the programming language Algol from the 1960s. I think it might be. I, I tried to figure it out once if it's more like Algol 60 or Algol 68. I think it's more like Algol 60. Not that it matters much, but it's a C-like language because C is also derived from Algol. the The main problem, or you know, I don't know, problem. The main language feature that that um, I stumble against on a regular basis is that Maxima has uh, relatively primitive notions about scope. In particular, Maxima implements dynamic scope instead of lexical scope. And for the programming language enthusiasts among us, that's 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 considered very primitive. All languages developed since the 70s have implemented well, I, except for Emacs, Emacs Lisp, Lisp. Sorry, all other languages have implemented lexical scope. And you know, it seems like a very like a very obscure point about the the programming language but essentially the problem is that maxima has the potential for strange action at a distance effects where you think you're working with a variable and you're doing something with it but you're actually you can't guarantee that you're not referring to some other variable and some other part of the program that somebody else developed you know somebody else wrote and maxima can't keep those things separate Okay, so everything's global? Yeah, properties of symbols uh, are global. So the, the language doesn't make it easy to ensure that your program is not interfering with some other, some other program that you would like to load in as a library, let's say. And that just makes it very hard to write large programs because there's the potential for interactions between different parts that, that, uh, that um are written by different people at different times or the same person at different times or whatever. Depending on how you name your variables. That's right, yes. Okay, and we, we, we talked earlier, like, uh, you can use uh, Maxima from the command line, like R or Python. Is there also graphical interface that are available, like, or um, integrated development environment, like, where you can see your variables and all of that? Well, there have been a number of graphical interfaces for Maxima. The, the two that seem to have some traction at present are WX Maxima, which is a uh, graphical interface that's based on WX widgets, and Maxima Jupyter, which is a um, Jupyter notebook kernel for Maxima. So um, WX Maxima, it's a little bit more like an integrated development environment in that it has different menus and tools built in to carry out commonly used operations. To facilitate the access to common functions? Yeah, that's right. Yes, it does. 
and Jupyter Notebook is more like you better know Maxima before you start typing code in there. Yeah, that's right. The the notebook interface itself doesn't explain anything about Maxima. It's it's the same notebook interface that is present for all for all languages. Okay. Is there any kind of uh, syntax highlighting in Maxima, or is, is it relevant? Well, it is relevant. The console uh, interface of Maxima. So the so I didn't mention the console interface, which is uh, a plain text interface, um, which is basically pretty printing the equations on a screen. So, which was the uh, the only way to display things back in the good slash bad old days when there was only a you know twenty five lines by eighty columns display. And to me, it's it's um, very effective. Um, so that's the that's the interface that I I usually use. Oh, directly the command line interface. It's not it you know it's not the bash prompt, but it's a you know it's a um, you know plain text input and output with pretty printing. Okay, what kind of uh, quality of printing do you get? Do you get like uh, LaTeX like equations or? Well, only. In the uh, Maxima Jupiter, do you get the the really nice equations with LaTeX? WX Maxima typesets equations in a slightly different way. And then the console interface, as I mentioned, is, is only um, doing pretty printing. That is to say that it's um, it's arranging the characters in the equation on the screen in a way that hopefully indicates what the structure of the equation is. Mm-hmm. Is there any way to integrate output? Like if you were having a project with uh, which is m- like quite mathematical, like a, an article with, with equations and things to be solved, would it be possible to take the, the objects you type into Maxima and integrate them within like a, a, a LaTeX document to, to, to integrate Maxima within LaTeX? Is it, is it something that is possible? Well, to some extent, I think that that's possible with the Jupyter Notebook, um, to the extent that Jupyter supports exporting to PDF or other formats. There is also a, um, a user interface called TechMax, which is more like a document preparation system. And it might be more natural if you were typing a document to build that with TechMax. Yeah, so you could use either TechMax or typing your whole document within Jupyter Notebook and then exporting it as PDF. Yeah, it's doable. I mean, it's doable, yeah. You know, anecdotally, what people do is to keep a console session open and do their computations. And then there is a, uh, a function in, the, in Maxima to generate the tech format for any given expression. And so they would, you know, work through things to get them the way they want them and then say, tech and then copy and paste the resulting output okay i've also read that maxima is based on maxima m-a-c-s-y-m-a instead of m-a-x-i-m-a which was developed at mit and founded by the united states department of energy and other agency in later version maxima was later released under the gpl do you know anything about the transition to gpl of maxima and uh, like in recent version of maxima is there any remnant of uh, the old maxima in there or is it completely rewritten since then well i'm glad you asked this is because maxima has a very long and interesting history So, as you mentioned, the original version of Maxima was started over 50 years ago in 1968 as part of Project MAC. And the MAC may have stood for Machine-Aided Cognition, 
So it was a very broad project, maybe kind of heading in the direction of artificial intelligence as it was understood at the time. <laughs> so Maxima was the symbolic mathematics for Project Mac. And Maxima was originally developed from 1968 to 1982. And at that time, one of the people who had worked on it at MIT originally, Richard Feitman, who is still participating in the, in the mailing list, I believe that he prodded MIT to submit their version of Maxima to the Department of Energy so that it could be released into the public domain and other people could use it. And the resulting version was called DOE Maxima. And I believe that was used at, at um, some universities during the 1980s. And in particular, there was um, one person using it at the University of Texas, and he maintained his own version with additional enhancements for several years. And then in 1998, he asked the Department of Energy for permission to release Maxima under terms of the GPL. So that was William Shelter, and his idea of releasing Maxima under terms of the GPL was really what started the open source project as we know it today. So that was a key stage in the evolution of the project, um, because it, it meant that other people could um, extend Maxima and develop it and use it for their purposes, and um, really made Maxima available to a, a much wider audience. And so as, uh, on a kind of a similar um, parallel path, Maxima was also developed by a private company during the 1980s. I believe it was originally Symbolics Incorporated, which um, was building Lisp machines, and then later as a, a separate company specifically for the purpose of developing Maxima. So they made, as far as I know, many enhancements and bug fixes. However, that company is now dormant in the field of symbolic computation or marketplace. That became dominated by Maple and Mathematica. And Maxima, although it was dominant in the 1980s, by the 1990s had a very small market share. And development ceased entirely, I think, before the year 2000. So all of that development is at present inaccessible to anyone because it's tied up with the assets of the private company. And efforts have been made from time to time by Maxima Project participants to try to contact the people who might be responsible for that company at this time. As far as I know, there has never been any progress on that front. So as far as I, I can tell, all of the work that was invested in the private branch of Maxima is lost. So it's a great thing then that William Shelter had the great idea of publishing or asking the Department of Energy for the permission to publish Maxima under terms of the GPL, because that makes it possible to preserve it for everybody indefinitely. So I think that you were asking about what is the, you know, how much code is, is um, still in Maxima that's left from the original project. And the answer is a lot. And this, you know, this has its good points and bad points. The, the upside is that there was lots of good work that was done, lots of talented people working on it. But there are longstanding bugs in some of the older parts of the code, for instance, in the computation of the greatest common divisor for polynomials. And the, these bugs are very hard to fix and are still causing trouble, you know, decades later. So this is the downside of, of legacy software, I guess. 
it's interesting to see that our software evolved and it's even like more interesting to know like maxima like in the original version was developed for ai research 50 years ago and now like there's a AI is now the the enraged, I can quote quote unquote, like the, the the big thing at the moment. Yeah, well, AI has gone in a very different direction, but at the time, symbolic computation perhaps was seen as being part of the umbrella that covered all of AI. But you know, that's that's fine. I mean, I worked on machine learning, and that's a great topic unto itself. And you know, I don't know where things are going to go, but. You know, if, if interesting, useful ideas spin off from different research directions, then that's all that's all for the good. So, as you said, there's nothing that came out like you cannot recover anything from the proprietary branch of the company Symbolic. Uh, so probably like the bug fixes, you, you cannot get anything back. And yeah, right. That's correct. Yeah, that's a that's a bummer. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, that's an that's an argument against private software development, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, before being released as under GPL, what was the exact? Was it a, like a proprietary license, or just not licensed properly before that, or what was the license before the GPL? Well, I think that there was no explicit license statement that I'm aware of. So I believe that the Department of Energy published a list of software packages that people could have access to if they paid for a magnetic tape to transfer them, something like that. And I don't know if any license terms were stated or not. So putting the GPL label on it meant that there was greater clarity about, about what people could and couldn't do with it. So that was, that was an important step. Do you think that using open source software such as Maxima for teaching is a better solution than Maple and Mathematica? Because I know when I when I when I did my undergrad degree, I never used Maple, but the math teacher spoke. Oh, you can, you can do resolve your equation in Maple as well. But do you think Maxima is a good proposition for uh, undergrad students? I guess there's a couple of different ways to answer that question. One is that I'm kind of old-fashioned in the sense that at the undergraduate level, I I think that people ought to be trying to work out answers for themselves in order to understand what's going on. So I'm not sure that undergraduates really need symbolic computation all that much. But, you know, that's just my own personal opinion about that. But in academia more generally, I think that open source software is an important part of making it possible to reproduce and extend someone else's results. I think that if I wrote a paper and I provided, let's say, a notebook that's, that had my calculations in it, then it would be very easy for somebody to open the notebook and go through the calculations and say, yep, okay, I get it, yeah, okay. Or to say, no, I think that you know your approach is wrong here, you should try this other thing, and to change it and work it out the way that they like, and then perhaps to extend it in, in some way, building on the results that are there. And that whole process is much more likely to happen, that process which moves investigation and um, knowledge forward that process is more likely to happen if the notebook is making use of a program that's available to everybody through open source software, um, as opposed to requiring a proprietary system. So I see free and open source software as being a key part of getting people moving and moving things in a, uh, a direction of greater, greater knowledge, investigation, verification, all of those things. 
in a way that that is less likely to happen and therefore slowing down with proprietary software. Are you aware of scientific articles uh, mentioning or citing Maxima in their tools? Well, I think there are at least a few that are um, referenced on the Maxima website. There's a, a list of different documents that people have, have written, uh, many tutorials and um, other kinds of documents. And, and a few, I think there are, are maybe a few um, technical papers that, that people have written, in, um, which make use of results that were generated specifically by Maxima. Okay, we'll switch to the topic about the, the community and the contribution to the project, if someone is interested. Do you contribute to the core Maxima project? Do you contribute code, technical support, writing documentation, uh, helping uh, filing bugs, uh, helping new users? Yeah, I do uh, contribute in, in several ways. I have, at different times, written documentation. I participate in the uh, mailing list. I fix bugs. I have developed some new features. I'm also a project administrator, which means only that I can do the administrative type duties that are implemented on the SourceForge website. And as a project administrator, I'm, I'm just a person who is basically um, just trying to keep things, you know, keep the lights on and keep things moving. Maxima doesn't have a well-defined structure of one person deciding what other people are going to work on. It's a very um, informal and, and um, kind of, um, well, I was going to say disorganized, but it's actually more like self-organizing. Organic, I think, is a good description. We talk about things on the mailing list, and we may talk about things for a long time. And ideally, someone eventually says, okay, here's my proposal about what to do about XYZ. And so now I'm going to go ahead and do it if that's okay with you. And so we don't have a, for instance, we don't have a system of proposals that are reviewed and accepted or rejected or voted on or anything like that. And we, there isn't a system of organized code reviews. Instead, informally, people look at commits and they say, this isn't right, or this is okay. And there isn't any one person who can say, who can tell others um, exactly what they can and can't do. It's more a, a matter of social pressure. And so I find that a very comfortable working environment. I don't feel the need for spelling things out in detail. I'm comfortable with people figuring out things um, informally. And so it's, you know, I, I came into the project about 15 years ago, and that was basically the way that it was running at the time. And since that time, it has, has basically continued to plug along on pretty much the same terms. And since I'm comfortable with that, I, I haven't felt any need to try to steer things in a different direction. I think it has been good for the project in the long run. Okay. That's kind of an interesting way to for a project to evolve and to be like self-managed and self-organized. It's interesting. When you have like the total opposite of like Debian with the community, the committees and you have the leader of the project and technical roles and all of that, it's much more formal. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I I just I just have no interest in in that kind of organization. So, I'm I'm glad that the Maxima uh, as far as I know has never had that. Okay, that's more flexible in that sense. Do you have a rough estimate about how many people are involved in the project? Well, I would guess that about 10 people have made commits over the past year. Okay. Um and maybe 20 or 30 people have participated in the mailing list. 
So it's a, I would say it's a fairly small, quiet project. We do get lots and lots of downloads on SourceForge. I, I speculate that it's um, that a lot of those people are college students that are downloading Maxima to um, solve some math problems, but I don't specifically know that for sure. We'll just get back to the um, communication channels. Yeah, we're talking about the mailing list. Is there only a single mailing list where every contributor is talking there? Or like if you have a user with support requests, are they using the same mailing list or is there other other support channel for them? All of the traffic goes through a single mailing list. Okay. So the technical discussions and the user questions um, all go on the same list. The other major communication channel that we have is the bug tracker which has also, as I was saying, has um, accumulated quite a lot of information. Uh, what are the underlying technology with which Maxima is built? Uh, you said you contributed code. Like, Is it like Lisp underneath? Uh, if someone wants to contribute, what should they know if they want to look at the code? The core of Maxima is implemented in Lisp common Lisp. And then there are many add-on packages which are implemented in Lisp or in written in Maxima code in the Maxima programming language. And if someone wanted to consider contributing to Maxima by programming, I think that it's a, it, it's a good idea to, you know, either, you know, one could either know common Lisp and one could easily learn the Maxima programming language as it's pretty simple. But um, what I, I guess I would The, the larger picture, I think, is that I would encourage people to not focus too much on the on the syntax of the pro programming language, but rather think about the concepts, the concepts being code equals data, functional programming, stuff like that. And the expression in common Lisp is kind of a consequence of that. So that, I know that's, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of hard for people that may not know a whole lot about programming languages, but I think that it's useful to kind of um, try to step back and, and look at the underlying concepts and and not um, focus on the, the syntax with which those concepts are expressed. Okay. If you had newcomers, is there any resource where you could point them for where to look? Like, is there um, some bugs in um, SourceForge that are tagged like easy first bug for newcomers or there there's no such thing and it's just come along and see what which itch you want to solve and uh... yeah well i think that i would encourage newcomers to join the the mailing list and read the messages and perhaps participate in the discussion there and part of the informality of maxima is that is that we don't have specific problems that are that are labeled for people that are just getting started with the project or anything like that it would be more a matter of of just looking around and seeing what's happening and trying to match one's interests and capabilities to what could be done i think that for people who are just getting started a suitable um, way to get started would be to try to devise a add-on package which could be useful um, and that could be a way to learn a lot about Maxima and, and what can be done and how to go about it and things like that. Like it's low risk project because it doesn't interact with the base code. You can develop it separately from Maxima. Yeah, that's right. 
Now we'll switch to a slightly lighter topic, uh, if we can say so. What is your, we, we briefly talked about it earlier, uh, what is your vision about FLUS and its importance for the openness of science? Well, I, I guess I don't have much to add to what I said before. I, I see that the importance of it is that it makes it possible to build on other people's work and it, it facilitates that. That is to say, it makes it easier. And so, therefore, it's more likely to happen and there's going to be more of it. So, I see Floss moving science forward and at a greater speed than proprietary software. Do you think that Floss can have a negative impact on science? Well, I was I was thinking about that. I guess the the downside that I can see is that what's provided by Floss is not necessarily doesn't necessarily match up with what any particular person needs to solve at a given time. And things get done to the extent that there are people that are interested and capable to work on it. And so things that are boring or don't seem rewarding don't get worked on. And so with commercial software, there's you can hire somebody to work on the things that nobody else wants to work on. And that, that could be important from a, a commercial point of view by providing functions that won't get implemented otherwise. So there may be gaps. There's certainly gaps in Maxima compared to commercial systems. And that's, that's a drawback. Okay. Yeah. The less uh, glamorous parts are less interesting to be worked on than the... Yeah. So we're almost done with the interview and we'll proceed with some of our classic quick questions. Uh, if we exclude LIGO, in recent years, uh, what do you think was the most notable scientific discovery? Well, the most notable scientific discovery, I think, is it's not all that obscure or difficult But I think that the project to monitor carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere that was started by, I believe it was Charles Keeling, I believe was was a very significant scientific project. And I think that the curve, which shows a steady increase with um, annual fluctuations, is one of the most important um, scientific facts um, for us today. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Without this information, we wouldn't be able to take appropriate measure. Yeah, right, right. So, you know, this is, you know, this is sobering. You know, this is unfortunately of monumental importance. Sometimes we, it's not the glamorous stuff that is like, it might be easy to know to name the glamorous yeah. stuff, but the, the small stuff is really important as well. Although it's not, <laughs> I say small stuff, it's not that small to monitor like over time and uh, it's uh, ongoing and like it requires a lot of um, involvement in the project in the long term to keep it going and to to keep doing a project, to keep it financed. Yeah, there's, um, you know, many other questions that are, that are inspired by that. I think that there's been a lot of um, great work in, in um, weather and climatology in the last few decades um and that's that's just perhaps the the aspect of it that that um sticks out the most but there's but there's lots of um companion projects that are they're also very um important and interesting yeah and what is your favorite text processing tool um i think i like latex the best okay yeah i i like it, it, it the output looks good to me and i Don't really favor what you see as what you get, editors. You can put the LaTeX document into a version control system. It has lots of good features from my point of view. 
Yeah, and the fact that in 10 years the document will be exactly the same and uh, it will compile just at the same. Yeah, <laughs> also a big plus. Yeah, <laughs> try opening a document from uh, Word 1997 today right. and uh, right. good luck. <laughs> right. Is there anything else we forgot to ask that we should have asked you about? Well, I, I guess we did talk about it, but the topic that I thought was most important for our discussion of, of loss was the social aspect, the aspect of interacting with other people. That's a key part of the Maxima experience for me. And the, the whole thing about, you know, scientific investigation and coordination of the project and exchanging ideas with other people on the mailing list and um you know publishing my work for others to appreciate and you know all of that stuff is part of the the social context of the technical work on the program itself and i think that that um in general it's those it's those you know fuzzier ideas about software as a social experience that are key parts of all all kinds of collaborative projects I was going to say, you know, all kinds of software projects, but it's, you know, it's, it's broader than software. It's, it's, um, I, I believe that it has to do with how all kinds of collaborative or, or, um, interconnected projects are working. Yeah. Collaborative project. And like in, in many sense, sometimes they're not, 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 not always formal as well. Yeah. It's, I mean, to me, it has a lot to do with the way that people work together in an informal sense. So if you, you know, for instance, if you were raking leaves with somebody else and, you know, somebody else showed up and wanted to help out, I mean, what do you do? You like talk about, well, I mean, here's a rake, you know, you can do the front yard, I'll do the backyard and, or, you know, okay, I, well, we, we got it done on, you know, we did that part. Now what's the next thing we're going to do? Or I ran into a problem you know, what can we do about it? Blah, blah, blah. All of human experience has this aspect of working together with other people and sorting things out and talking about it and deciding what to do and blah, blah, blah. You know, assigning group and individual responsibilities and whatnot. So I think that working on on software projects has very much the, you know, the, the same mental sphere or universe as um, as working on any kind of project, technical or non-technical. It's not disconnected. Mm -hmm, right. So that will conclude our question for today. Uh, is there anything else you would like to share with us? Well, I would just say visit maxima.sourceforge.net for a glance at our project and especially follow the links to the uh, mailing list subscription. And um, please consider um, listening to the conversations and perhaps taking part yourself. Um, we would be happy to have new developers. And even for people that are not programmers, I like to say that the opinion of well-informed outsiders is very valuable to the project. So even if you're not directly participating by contributing code or bug fixes or whatever, um, if you have an interest in mathematics or computation or anything that Maxima touches on, and you have um, opinions that you can share with the community around the di discussion list that would be i think um very valuable for the project okay we'll make sure to include those links in the show description on the website sure mm -hmm, great so thank you robert for your time in this interview sure you bet for listeners what is the best way to contact you um you can send me an email 
robert.dodier, D-O-D-I-E-R, at gmail.com. Okay. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you. This will be all for today's episode of the Philosopher Science Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can reach me on Twitter at DLPK. And you can reach me at underscore DBrass or both of us at Philosopher Science. Also, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Spotify. You can help us by recommending our show to your friends and colleagues. Our website is on a new location. We moved it to flossforscience.com, where you can find all of our contact informations and a link to our GitHub page, where you can submit subject ideas for future episodes. You can also listen to our episodes or find the RSS feed to get all of our interviews delivered directly to your favorite podcast player. Our current schedule is to release an episode on the first Wednesday of every month. We hope you enjoyed the show and that we will see you all in your next episode. Bye. Bye.